Welcome to the New Retirement Podcast. Today, we're going to be talking with Fritz Gilbert, founder of The Retirement Manifesto, about what he's learned preparing for and then making the transition to retirement. Fritz is a former executive in the aluminum manufacturing business who specialized in global supply chain management, where he traveled extensively. He just retired last month and relocated to a cabin in the North Georgia mountains as part of his downsizing strategy for retirement. I met Fritz last year face-to-face in Dallas at a FinCon event, and he's a great person with a ton of energy and passion for life. And as someone who successfully achieved financial independence at the relatively young age of 55 after a long and kind of traditional career, I thought that he'd have some useful lessons for our audience. So Fritz, welcome to our show. Thanks for making the drive down from the mountaintop to join us today. Yeah, thank you, Steve. It's, it's a real honor. You know, it's it's funny. One of the downsides of living in the mountains is uh, internet is absolutely horrible. So I was like, ah, I, can, I can get good internet, but I got to go into town. So I came down to the library and uh, hopefully they don't throw me out for talking to the library. But I, I found a little room in the back here. So I think we're good. So thank you for the honor. I'm, I'm very excited to be on your show. Yeah, no, it's, it's, uh, it's super great to have you join us. Um, you know, so I wanted to jump in a little bit about your background. But before we do that, you know, I just saw this stat yesterday that I thought was pretty interesting, which said that said that 5% of people that are 85 or older have worked in the past 12 months. And that was 255,000 Americans. That was pretty surprising to me. And I, and I was just wondering if you had to take, you know, if you thought that was by choice or by need. Yeah, that, that's a startling statistic. I, ironically, I wrote a post about that. I, it's called uh, Unretired, the Facts. And and I had read a similar article. I think it was in the New York Times. Uh, this was maybe a month or two ago. And, and it struck me. So I, I did some research on the topic, ironically, and, and wrote a post about it. And uh, yeah, it, it's clearly a, a, the unretirement phenomenon is real. And uh, they said that 40% of workers that are over the age of 65 had previously retired. So a lot of people do go back to work. And uh, a couple other stats out of the article, I think close to 20% of people that are over 65 are currently employed. So it's, it's a you know staggering number if you think about it. Um, what was interesting is I did the research though. You, you asked about, do I think it's by choice or by need? Um, according to the New York Times article, the majority of people who decide to go back to work, ironically, don't do it primarily for money. Um, there's three primary reasons that they listed. One was a sense of purpose, you know, and, and a lot of these are things that I've written about, things to ensure you have a great retirement. And these three hit exactly those three. So the first is having a sense of purpose. The second is for the mental stimulation of the work environment. And the third is for social interaction. And those three reasons are actually bigger drivers for people unretiring than, than a shortage of money. So, you know, th- those, are important, those are important lessons for us to learn as we think about uh, how do we set ourselves up to have a great retirement. Yeah, well, it's good that they're going back for, you know, all the right reasons. I totally agree with you that, you know, kind of purpose, you know, and the social interaction and stimulation, it, it's, uh, it's, it's super important. Uh, but it, but it's you know I mean I will say that like you know in our business where we're helping people with retirement planning you know we're seeing people kind of forty five plus but more recently I've seen I've been talking to users of our site that are I had one guy that was seventy seven one woman that was eighty who are raising their hand so it's 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 interesting you know they're just staying active and being thoughtful about it the woman who was eighty was like look you know the reality is you know my my mother lived till ninety six and I'm healthy I might live even longer I I need to stay on this right. And uh, it puts everything in perspective when uh, you know, you're talking to 80 year olds that are that are still you know actively thinking about this. Yeah, uh, and 
just final thought on that, and then we can move on. You know, I think if people choose to go back for those reasons, that's okay. What breaks my heart is when people have to go back because of financial reasons or they can't retire because of financial reasons. You know, the one thing that I would challenge people before, and this was my takeaway in my article that I wrote, was if those are the reasons that you've that you're thinking about going back to work, don't just jump back into work. There's a lot of other ways in in retirement that you can you can meet those three needs without necessarily having to go back to work. So that that's kind of my my conclusion, I guess, on the on the topic. Yep, totally. There's a lot of different ways to uh, to solve this problem. Um, all right, so you know, I, I kind of wanted to get just a little bit more about your background because I always think it's interesting to hear kind of where people came from. So you know, can you just share quickly, you know, kind of where you grew up, went to school, and kind of how you got into your career? Sure, absolutely. Um, Midwestern boy, grew up in a small town in Michigan, and uh, went to a liberal arts college in Ohio, Wittenberg University. Um, b- basic business uh, administration, marketing emphasis, you know, traditional major, and uh, actually interviewed in the aluminum industry as kind of a, <laughs> a kind of a, a play interview. I, I wasn't really even taking it seriously, and lo and behold, they made me a job offer, and I was like, well, I'll go check it out for a couple of years. Why not, right? So I uh, jumped into the business in Ohio in 1985 and met my wonderful wife, there and uh, you know moved moved around quite a bit over the years, but that's kind of how I how I you know got into the corporate world and uh, uh, nice traditional family. My parents were both teachers, so had good memories of summers on a lake in Michigan and uh, and a strong you know strong family uh, values growing up and uh, still have a great relationship with my dad. My my mother's passed away unfortunately, but uh, still stay in close touch with my dad and uh, and I, and I savor that relationship. Nice. Well, it's great to get that background. You know, uh, from reading your writing and and uh, you know and, and talking with you, I know that you, you know, you, you're you're a pretty thoughtful person. And uh, you know, have, did you have you had kind of like a vision for what you wanted to get accomplished with your life? And and, and you've, kind of, you've been pretty thoughtful about what you're doing at the retirement manifesto. But it, you know, could, do you think you kind of came out came at life with like, okay, listen, this is how it's going to unfold, and this is what I want to get done, or did that has that been evolving? I would say it's been more evolving. I, I would say I've taken more of a, I, I love the word serendipity, you know, just kind of that wander down a path and you see where it leads. And, and, and a lot of my, a lot of my career progression has been more serendipitous than planned. I, I think the, the mindset that I've always taken is, you know, be open to opportunities. You never really know where opportunities are going to develop. And, you know, my focus is, is, I, I would say from a from a vision for life, some of the guiding principles have been more around, um, you know, we're not materialistic. We've always lived below our means. We've always been good savers. You know, we're not frugal to the point of not enjoying today. You know, I've always had a lot of frequent flyer miles. So we have a daughter as well. She's 25 now and up in Seattle. But as she was growing up, you know, we always took vacations. We cashed in miles. We traveled all around the world. You know, we, we enjoyed life as we lived it. But we were always careful to, you know, as our savings, as our salaries went up, you know, save more every year as your salary goes up, you know, maintain a frugal lifestyle and don't let lifestyle inflation kind of, you know, don't get caught up in keeping up with the Joneses and spending all your pay raises. And that that's probably been the guiding principle that, that I would say, you know, financially that we've we've lived by. Yeah, I think that's important. I mean, I, I, I think there's more. Uh, pushback too against you know the this kind of lifestyle inflation and people kind of flaunting their wealth you know we see that out here there's less you know you run into people out here in silicon valley that have tons of money but you would never know it from how they dress or what they drive or or maybe sometimes from where they live but uh you know there it's it's a lot less that way here versus i was actually recently in southern california and i was like wow Look at all these, you know, Ferraris. I went, I went to this conference. Yeah. It was a nice hotel, and I was like, Ferrari, <laughs> Lamborghini, Bentley. I was like, wow, that's that's crazy. I just can't imagine spending yeah. money that way. 
No, uh, I, I, I'm a big fan of stealth wealth and, uh, you know, you don't, you don't have to, uh, you know, and the thing is you look at those people driving the Ferraris, a lot of them are, you know, they're living paycheck to paycheck. They're absolutely strapped out. They're not saving anything for retirement. And, you know, I would argue a lot of them aren't truly happy because the material things typically aren't what really bring you happiness in life. So, you know, Hey, we'll get philosophical here, but you know, I don't, I don't think that's the right path, you know, and, and not to mention you, you mess up your retirement opportunity. So, you know, I, yeah, we've, we've taken a different approach. Yeah, for sure. I think hedonic adaption is, is, is a real thing and it's, it's worth it yeah. to understand that term early in your life. Um, yeah. so, so you started the retirement manifesto in April, 2015 and, uh, you know, wh what made you start it? Like, why'd you get so into this, uh, into this topic and, you know, what did you hope to learn? Yeah, that's, that's a good question. You know, I, I, I started it almost on a whim. You know, I'm one of these guys who I'll try a lot of things and some things just click and, and you realize you love it. And some things are just, you know, it's a dog and you, and you, and you discontinue it. Fortunately for me, the, the retirement manifesto has turned into a real passion project and I, I love to write. I love to teach and, and I've really enjoyed it. But, um, my, my reason for starting it, I was three years away from retirement at the time. And I recognized, you know, that I'm in a, in a, this wave of baby boomers and there's a lot of people going through the same transition at the same time there weren't really a lot of people writing about it at you know most bloggers are younger they're in the fire community etc and and i just felt like you know it could be a a good a good means to share some of the things that we were doing as we were in our final years of working and preparing for retirement not so much a story of me 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 but more these are the things we're thinking about and here's how you might want to think about it in your own life you know so we're using the examples of decisions we're making and and kind of using those as guidelines for thoughts that people should have as they go through the retirement planning process yeah well it's obviously resonated because i know you've been picked up in a you know in a number of channels and you, you know your podcasting and everything else and i i know you're recently in the washington post which is uh on the front page of the the business section right of the personal finance section which is uh pretty cool you know to have that yeah happen. yeah yeah, I've been really blessed and honored by, you know, and, and, and again, that's pretty much, I think if you produce good content and you're saying things that matter and things that people can learn from, that that visibility and those people approaching me has been pretty much, you know, they're coming at me. I'm not, I'm not out there promoting myself. I'm just focusing on creating the good content. And I think people recognize that and, and, and it, and it pays off. Right. What's been the most rewarding part of, uh, of this project for you? Uh, you know, unexpectedly, um, I would say the relationships that I've built, you know, you and I met at FinCon. We had a, we had a great evening that night at the uh, at that place with the band and everything. It was fun, you know, and, and, and I've met a lot of really, really great people. We all have a common interest. And, and you know, there's so few places left in our society where people are kind of non-judgmental. And this is kind of one of those places. You know, you, you could be a liberal, a conservative, you know, fat fire, lean fire, whatever. We can get into all that stuff later if you'd like. But you can have a different approach to life, but everybody's accepting of it because we're all we have a common interest around personal finance and it's personal finance, right? You can, you can do it however you want because it is personal and other people don't tend to judge. So I would say the relationships and the acceptance of that community, I never expected that. And it's one of the things that I've, I've certainly enjoyed the most. We talked early, you know, about those, those three reasons people go back to work and one of them was social interaction. Well, here I am three years later, I'm a month into retirement and I've built this wonderful community of social interactions that all came through my blog. So that's, that's, I think, been the number one pleasant surprise that I've had from, from starting the blog. Yeah, I, I definitely have to agree with you on that one. It's, uh, it is amazing to kind of connect with all these people all over the world, kind of, you know, being thoughtful, not, not just about, you know, personal finance and, and the money side, but, you know, the life side, what they're doing, what they're learning, yeah. and, and having yeah. these wildly different experiences, whether it's, you know, 
living abroad while managing, you know, real estate properties here or, you know, you know, uh, creating blogs and content or building, you know, digital content businesses, whatever it is. It's, it's pretty interesting to see what, what everyone's doing and how quickly they're learning. Exactly. Or creating incredible retirement calculators and, and starting a podcast, right, Steve? I mean, there, there's a lot of different ways that people are going about this. And, and we're all kind of addressing that same need. And, and it seems to be kind of genuine relationships, which is, which is, which is really nice. So it's, 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 it's a fun part of, of a, it's a fun community to be a part of. Yeah, that's for sure. Um, okay, real quick before I move on, you know, do you consider yourself a fire person, you know, you know, financially independent retirement early or, or kind of a more traditional person. I, you're kind of like in between, I think, on the age side. I, I, I am. And, and, and I think the way I view that, I would say, yes, I do. Because if you think about it from a cultural perspective, retiring at 55 is, is still young, right? If you think about it from the, from the fire community, I'm an old guy, right? A lot of the fire people are retiring in their 30s and 40s. Hey, good for them. Again, we're accepting this is great. But I think looking at it from a broader community, you know, cultural perspective, Nobody would say that age 55 is not retiring early. So I do consider myself a, a fire person. But I think more importantly, what I'm trying to do is is share some of the fire lessons. You know, how, how does somebody retire at age 35, right? That's that's insane. But you know what? If, if you sit back and think about it, there are millions of Americans and Canadians and Europeans that are age 50 that don't have anything saved for retirement. Well, guess what? You can use those same fire principles and you can still retire in 15 years, right? So there's, there's a natural bridge, I think, between the boomers and the more traditional approach, especially for those that haven't been as diligent in saving for retirement, there's a natural overlap between those communities. So I, I'm, I am kind of a hybrid. I'm, I'm a little bit in between, but I consider myself on the fire side. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. Uh, I wrote a post called Hacking Retirement recently. It was, you know, I was thinking kind of along these lines that, you know, there are all these, uh, you know, kind of tips and uh, things that you can learn from other folks that you can apply. And, and people don't aren't always aware of all the kind of levers that are out there. The, the fire people definitely have to be most clever because one, they have a really long time horizon. And the second thing I think is healthcare. That's like a huge, a yeah. huge question. We'll, I'll, yeah. I'll ask you more about that in a second. Um, yeah. All right. Last question before we kind of, we, we dive in a little bit more on, on the number stuff, but I saw you have this like giant fifth wheel, which looks really <laughs> sweet, but I, I saw some of your pictures, <laughs> like a house on wheels. Uh, you know, have you caught any flack from the fire people, like the frugal guys? And I'm like, Oh, look at that thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like Dave Ramsey, look at his house, right? Um, you know, I, it, I've been pleasantly surprised. Again, we go back to this acceptance of the community. And, and I think for those that aren't, you know, into the details of this fire community, there's kind of a lean fire approach, which is, you know, you cut everything to the bone and, you you know, you get out really young and you live on, you know, $40,000 a year or less. And and then there's kind of this this developing fat fire community, you know, which they they, they spend a little bit more and they, they tend to enjoy a little bit more of the, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't call it materialistic things in life but you know yeah you'll get a big fifth wheel instead of going in a pop-up right so i think the 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 response has been very supportive nobody's really slammed me about it i think most people recognize that i'm kind of in the fat fire camp you know i could have retired at age 45 or 50 probably and and lived a leaner lifestyle and you know we made a conscious choice to work a little bit longer and 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 be able to to do a little bit more you know financially in retirement so people you know hey good for you no problem i'm not going to do that i'm going to get out earlier but good for you if that's the choice you know that you made so it, I, I would say it's been supportive and we're looking forward to it. You know, it's, we, we, we've always loved traveling and there's something about, you know, we've got four dogs, we do dog rescue and, and, you know, when you're out camping with four dogs, I, I can't imagine doing that in a pop-up. Right. So we, we kind of made some conscious choices along the way that uh, led us in that direction. So nice. That's awesome. Well, if you, uh, if you drive out West, you'll have to come, you know, come by, uh, you know, Mill Valley, California and we'll, uh, we'll check it out. 
get a tour. We'll definitely do that. Our daughter, as I said, is up in Seattle, so I'm sure we'll be doing a loop and uh, coming down the coast. So we'll we'll stop by and see you. Nice, appreciate that. Um, all right, so moving on to kind of like what you've learned along the way, um, you know, just how did you decide you are ready for retirement? You've written about kind of like being both, you know, financially but also mentally ready for this transition. So I'm just curious, what you know, how you decided that for yourself. Yeah, that, that's, you know, that's an interesting process. I think the initial thought that I had, and I think most people have, is purely focused on the numbers and, and probably five years out. You know, I, I I never really was obsessed with retirement as I was working. We were just diligently saving and going along the path. And, you know, when I was in my late 40s, I started having some of my friends that were retiring in their, you know, mid to upper 50s. And I, and I started, you know, I, I think we can do this. So I started, you know, running the calculators and things like that, started looking at the financial side. And, and you know, at that point, five years out, I started saying, Hey, you know, I think, I think this is possible. And I started getting more serious about it. And, you know, I did a, a cash flow analysis all the way out to age 95. And I really focused on the financial side. And, and as I got closer and closer to the retirement date, you know, the numbers have to support your decision. And I, and I got to the point where I was comfortable, Hey, I can do a safe withdrawal rate of, you know, three to three and three and a quarter percent. Um, I'm comfortable that we're okay. And then an interesting thing happens where you start focusing less on the financial and you start focusing more on the softer sides of, of retirement, like we talked about earlier, purpose, social interactions, mental stimulation. You've also got to be ready for retirement on those sides of it. So the last year, 18 months before I retired, you know, you, you, you'll notice if, if you went through the chronology of my blog, the early writings were almost exclusively on the money and the latter writings have been almost exclusively on the softer side. So there's been a, a natural shift in our, in our mindset as we've recognized that the financial is good. Hey, we better start thinking about this other stuff because it's equally, or I would argue, almost more important than the financial side. So we 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 got to the point where we were comfortable with both, and uh, we pulled the plug a month ago. So. Nice, yeah. Well, that's awesome. It's great to have that kind of confidence and and feel like you've you know you fully thought it through. And we talked to Karsten Jeske a lot about this. And yep. <clears throat> yeah, he's he came out at the same place, which is like kind of a three and a half percent safe withdrawal rate uh, when yeah. you know when you're managing your assets yourself. Um, okay, so that's that's awesome. Um, you know, I know that you wrote about kind of the bucket strategy. That was the approach that, uh, that, that you've taken, right? So having kind of uh, yep. less risky near-term money and then more risky longer-term money. Yep. And I know Karsten, when I talk with him, he's like, look, I'm just going to manage one portfolio. Um, yeah. And so I was just kind of curious to get your take if you have a you know strong opinion about why you chose the bucket versus kind of the you know other, other approaches. Yeah, and, and Carson's great, by the way. His 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 work on the on the safe withdrawal rate, you know, that that incredible series he wrote did influence us on on our our targeted withdrawal rate. So I've got a lot of respect for him, and and I would argue that his managing one portfolio approach isn't really that much different than the bucket strategy. It's just that the bucket strategy takes the one portfolio and it just breaks it down into subsets. So you take your, your liquid portion of it, you know, Carson's got that. He's got his liquid portion in his one portfolio. Well, we've got that too. We just call it bucket one, right? So it's, it's not that different. I don't think um, fundamentally or, or strategically, it's just what, what I like about the one bucket or the, the bucket approach is, you know, I've got it built into, we've got a net worth statement. We've got all the different accounts that we've got. And I, and I've built a link between, let's just say a money market fund, the, the value that's in that money market fund automatically feeds into this bucket one on a separate tab. And you can just visualize to make sure you've got enough liquidity set aside to cover, you know, a three to four year time period. So you don't get caught, you know, in sequence of return risk and trying to sell your stocks during a bear market. So um, to me, they're not that different. It's just a way that 
I could visualize it a little bit easier and it, and it just kind of naturally fit with the way my mind worked. Got it. That makes sense. Have you ever thought about annuitizing any part of your uh, savings? I, I have. And I'll tell you what I, what I like is the deferred annuities, you know, kind of a longevity risk. Um, we're, we're still a little bit, and you know, I'm in this time frame where I'm retiring at 55. Obviously your, your retirement assets, you don't really have access to those, you know, until you're 59 and a half. So I think, you know, that's something I've, I've continued to look at. And as we free up a lot of the liquidity in our retirement portfolio, um, we, we may annuitize some of it, but primarily as a longevity risk, we'd, we'd probably do a deferred annuity. Right. At like what, like 80 or something like that? Or yeah, like, yeah. Yeah. Something like that. You know, put in, put in a hundred grand now and it's worth, you know, so many thousand dollars a month at 85, you know, some, something along those lines. You know, I think the, the, the two biggest risks that we have, well, healthcare, obviously we'll talk about that as well. But I think from a, from a money running out of money perspective, you know, you just don't know how long you're going to live. So I think anything you can do to hedge against the longevity risk is is wise and you know we're going to delay our social security until we're age 70 and a half you know we're 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 looking at those levers that protect against longevity risk and i think a deferred annuity is one of those levers we haven't made a decision yet but that's that's clearly a risk that you need to look at the second one obviously is inflation so you need to have a lot of your funds still invested in the market stock markets to be able to you know keep up with inflation and so there's always that trade off between you know the risk of a bear market versus inflation destroying your portfolio if you keep everything in cash. So, you know, there, there's a balancing act in all of this. Yeah, totally. And that's what we're trying to do in our tools, kind of make it easy for people to understand what these levers are, because I think a lot of people don't even know, oh, you know, I could buy a deferred annuity that is relatively low cost because you know, the odds are, you know, you're, well, according to the mortality tables, you're not supposed to be alive at 85 or whatever age, right? So right. it's right. cheap, but if you happen to be alive, guess what? You've, you know, you've kind of created an endpoint from a, from a planning perspective, which, you know, today you, you, no one has this end, end point. And when you look at the data on people that have planned and, and saved money is many of the people that have saved significantly, they continue to save and build up assets through retirement. Uh, yeah. And they end up, you know, retiring with huge piles of money or sorry, passing away with huge piles of money. Yeah. And they yeah. obviously haven't gotten the utility of that. Um, so yeah. anyway, I, ironically, I read a little bit of a sidebar on this, but I think it's relevant. I just wrote a post like last week about it's time to live like no one else. And I and I investigated that exact topic. And, and the number if you've been a lifelong saver it's really hard to change that habit in retirement and become a retirement spender, right? You're, you're just naturally frugal. You naturally don't spend, but you know what? And, you know, look at the Monte Carlo simulations, you know, in the vast majority of cases, your wealth is going to continue to grow. So don't be afraid to spend your money in retirement, set a safe withdrawal rate, and then be comfortable spending at least what you've identified as your safe withdrawal rate, because that's safe. You know, you, you can spend it. You don't have to continue to, to, you know, you can buy a fifth wheel if, if your numbers say you can, because if you don't, you're just going to die and that money's going to be sitting in the account and go to your heirs, which if that's what you want, that's fine, but make sure it's a conscious choice. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's really important for people to understand that. And you know, the, the true scarce resource that we all have is our time and, you know, and our health. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you're definitely like, you know, from 45 to 55, you're a certain level of health, 55 to 65, you know, you're another level of health, 65, 75, you know, like but you start pushing 75, 85 years old, right? You're not, you're not gonna be necessarily doing the same things you were doing at 55 years old. And, exactly. and, and like, you're not gonna like necessarily say, okay, you know what, I'm gonna go to Europe and uh, trek around yeah. or backpack around or something like that. So yeah. there's, you know, you, you do have to decide like, okay, I want to use this time along with my money to yeah. keep whatever you want to get, get accomplished. Yeah, um, agreed. Okay. Awesome. Appreciate that. So, you know, uh, healthcare, right? So you're 55, right? You're 10 years off from Medicare. You know, how are you guys solving for that cost? 
Yeah, it's it's not an easy one, Steve, and you you know that obviously by asking the question. And 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 I would be you know I I would be lying if I said we've got it totally solved. I mean I think there's so many unknowns in terms of what's going to be available, what's going to happen legislatively wise. You know, is there a risk of a you know you get you you get cancer you know and you end up having a you know having a problem getting insurance later, whatever. So what we're doing right now is I went ahead and bought the Cobra for my employer. Again, I just retired a month ago, so I've got I've got Cobra for 18 months. And then we've actually got a retiree medical thing that I can buy into that expires in 2020. So I get an extra year out of that. It's not cheap, but it's cheaper than going in the open market. So basically I've got until, you know, I've got, what is it? 18 months plus 12. So uh, 30 months, I've got 30 months of insurance kind of booked and done. And my hope is, you know, between now and then the market kind of gets sorted out in the event that it doesn't, obviously from a planning perspective, we kind of have to assume that things are going to be, you know, pretty ugly and we're we're planning on like $25,000 a year just for the insurance cost and we're inflating it at like 5% a year. You know, we're not going to we're not going to be eligible for any of the uh, subsidies or anything like that. So we're saying, okay, let's make sure that we've built enough cash in our in our projection here that if we have to go out and do full cost private pay medical insurance, we can cover that before we retire. So that was built into our model. And, and we're just assuming at this point, you know, we'll probably just go out and, and have to pay into private pay. You know, we're watching the health sharing ministries and we're watching what some of the other bloggers and, and podcasters are doing that are in the similar stage. And, you know, I'll, I'll write an article at some point about it, but I, I think we'll probably lean towards private pay just because of some of, I've got some concerns around the health sharing in terms of things that they potentially won't cover, you know, limitations on coverage, but we'll see, you know, I think we've got 30 months to let the market kind of sort itself out. And hopefully by then we'll, we'll have a little bit better picture. Right. Or you can go work part-time at Starbucks or something like that. Right? Yeah. I hope not. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but uh, you know, you hear about people doing that. Um, yeah, well, yeah. So, or especially younger people. Uh, well, no, great to get the color on that. I think it's going to become this uh, much bigger issue you know, definitely for people that are under 65, but even with Medicare and Social Security kind of underfunding, you know, how that unfolds over the next 10, uh, 20 years. I mean, it's, you know, one, one stat I've heard is that the average person pays $140,000 into Medicare over their life, and they claim $410,000. That's a few years old, but it's, uh, you know, I mean, I, I've seen it in my family, like, you know, some people... Yeah, I mean, not everyone takes full advantage of Medicare, but some people are just like, they're all over Medicare <laughs> and it's like, they're yeah. sucking down a huge amount of uh, resources. Um, yeah. all right, we, we can do a whole separate podcast on, on healthcare. Um, <laughs> we sure could. All right. So, uh, you know, I, as, as a kind of a, you know, personal finance blogger, I saw that you do what a lot of them do, which is, you know, you should kind of publish your personal financial situation online. How, how do you feel about that? And, and why do you think everyone does that? Yeah, we we've kind of taken a hybrid approach. You know, I, I there's 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 a there's actually a website out there. I think Rockstar Finance runs it where they actually have the net worth published net worth of all these different personal finance bloggers. We've not actually published hard um, net worth numbers, but we have shared quite a bit around kind of asset allocation and, and, you know, um, withdrawal rates and, and rough spending numbers. So people could do the math and figure out what our net worth is. But, you know, so I, I'm a little bit mixed on it. I, I, I think, to me, unless you're bringing value to the readers by by publishing something, that that to me is the number one criteria. And you know, maybe there's a curiosity factor and and all that. But in terms of really helping people 
make their decisions for retirement. I don't think it's that relevant what my personal net worth is. It, you know, it's, it's healthy. It, it's it's seven figures, and and you know we're 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 pretty comfortable. But um, beyond that, I don't I don't think that they need to know you know exactly what the number is to to benefit them as they try to figure out you know can they retire or not you know on, on their with their situation. Yeah, totally agree. I mean, we just did this podcast with Bob Merton and. Um, you know, he yeah. Talking, Congratulations, he, by the way. That's huge. Oh, yeah. thanks. Yeah, that was it was great to kind of get his perspective. Yeah. I mean, and his perspective is basically the whole wealth management industry has got it wrong around retirement because they're totally focused on asset accumulation. They need yep. to be focused on yep. income and exactly. people shouldn't even be paying attention to their assets, at least their retirement assets. They just be focused on how much lifetime income do I get? And yep. you know, how, how confident am I that that's going to be delivered? And, and he's also thinking a lot about how can I financially engineer that stuff, uh, that, that, that income stream for people. But um, you know, I, I think you're right in terms of like, you know, you know, with regard, with regard to retirement, it's really just about, you know, can you get done what you need to get done around the income side to make sure that you have the quality of life that you want to have. Exactly. Yep. Um, okay. A couple other questions just, uh, cause I'm curious, but you know, any kind of like <laughs> smartest money moves that you feel like you made along the way here? Um, you know, probably the single th- the, the the single biggest thing I did right, and it was more by chance than by by being brilliant. You know, when I first started working out of college, I was 22 years old, and you know they had this thing called the 401k. I wasn't really even sure what it was, but my boss said, "Yeah, you should sign up for that." Right, so I signed up for it, and and I got started with you know contributions at age 22 that have compounded for you know 30 plus years now. So, putting the power of compounding to use. Um, was by far the biggest single thing that I did. And, and I was just fortunate. You know, I, I, it's one of those things where if you don't do it at the time and you realize 10 years later, it, it's kind of too late. I, I've since become much more educated about the power of compounding, but at the time it was just sheer luck, you know, thanks to my boss who said, Hey, you should sign up for this. So that, that I think was starting young was, was, was smart. The second piece probably as I started getting smarter about this was, you know, forcing yourself to not get into lifestyle inflation. And if I got a 3% raise, let's say I would automatically put 2% more into the 401k and we'd get 1% more in our paycheck. So we felt like we had a little bit more money, but it didn't, you know, inflate our lifestyle, it all went into savings instead. And I, I think the, the combination of those two were probably the smartest moves we made. Yeah, I think uh, that's great insight. I mean, one thing that kind of surprised me that I've learned recently is I, I went to this conference from uh, Next Generation Personal Finance, and it's basically uh, a movement to try and bring personal financial education into high schools and middle schools. Yeah, yep. it's, it's not, you know, required, you know, education in our country. Right. And so yep. you get these kids coming. I mean, it's like an opportunity. Like if, if everyone knew, you know, not just how to balance a checkbook, like in home act, but like, Hey, here's how we're, here's how the power of compounding works. You know, here's how you need to save. And he, here's how this can, this can play out. And, and if you start early, it doesn't have to have to be that painful. Um, you know, I think, I think that's a, that's a big thing that the kind of the FinCon and personal finance bloggers can get behind is like, like, let's just educate more people so that, uh, they they have these lessons that you know you lucked into, but most most people obviously don't luck into because you look at the outcomes and you look at the the savings rates in this country they're super low. Um, yeah, you know it's it's a huge opportunity to help a lot of people. Yep, I I agree, and I support that cause. I think it's a it's a wonderful message. You know, you look at, you know, you can save a hundred and whatever it is, a hundred dollars a month if you're eighteen, and you can be a millionaire at sixty or whatever the numbers are. If you wait till you're thirty, you got to save, you know, five hundred a month. Whatever the numbers are, they're staggering when you when you see those examples laid out, and they do make an impact, I think, on those younger kids. But not enough people are are preaching it. So I, I, there is a movement right now, I think, to try to get that 
instilled in the school systems. And, and I hope it gets some traction because uh, it, it's really important that people understand this and they understand it at a young enough age that they can still impact it. Yeah, totally. Um, so another question, have you ever used a financial advisor? Have you always been kind of a DIY kind of person? I have been DIY my whole life. You know, I've, I've, I've been a personal finance, I call myself a personal finance hobbyist. I've studied this stuff, you know, since I kind of started making money in my, you know, mid twenties, probably got, got money magazine and started reading the magazines on it and, and really started studying it. So up until I was 52 or so, I never talked to a personal finance advisor at all. I did everything myself. I, I did the Vanguard checkups. We got those, you know, work through the 401k. So they would kind of do a look at it and say, yep, you're in good shape, you know, but it was pretty high level. Um, three years years ago, I actually did um, kind of a retirement readiness check with a with a CFP just to make sure that I didn't have any blind spots. There wasn't anything that I was missing. And I was like, you know what, that that's that's probably an appropriate use. And in, in my case, where I'm, I'm pretty knowledgeable about this stuff, you know, for people that aren't knowledgeable or don't have an interest, by all means, use a CFP, use a professional because it's too important to get it wrong. In in my case, I felt like I was, I, I thought I was in pretty good shape. I thought I knew what I was doing, but it always, you know, it doesn't hurt to have a second set of eyes. So we did a one-shot deal. And uh, he pretty much, you know, confirmed everything that I had been thinking about. So we've we've been doing it yourself since. Nice, yeah, it makes sense. Um, by the way, we're we're looking at rolling out um, kind of packaged services around our planning tool. So yep. to do this kind of on a, a flat fee or hourly basis, because we do think that uh, many people need uh, some support, um, but yep. we want to do it in a very uh, completely aligned and transparent way. Uh, you know, one of the issues we have with financial services is that almost all of it is paid indirectly. People don't know how much they're paying. You know, there's fees on everything yep. and you can't see it. There's transaction fees or fund fees or whatever. And you're not really paying attention. But, you know, our average user has, you know, a million bucks. And uh, so if they're paying 1% a year, or one point, I think 1.3% is the average fee. You know, it's 10 yep. to 13 grand a year, right? I mean, that's yep. uh, kind of like, yeah, oh, that's like half your half your, your healthcare costs right there. Um, exactly, exactly. So, okay. And, and and I think, you know, the other thing that I think that that, I support that, by the way, I think that's a great thing that you should roll out because I think there are people that need it. And I think the other thing it serves is those people that necessarily, don't necessarily have a, a large enough net worth that they're attractive to the traditional financial services industry because they're all about assets under management and, you know, working on the fees. If you can do a, whatever your pricing is going to be, let's just say, you know, X thousands of dollars to do a, a, an assessment. Um, you're going to open yourself up to where the people that don't have that much wealth yet can still afford to have an expert look at it and give them some guidance, which right now is a, is a, is a real, uh, it's a lacking side of the industry where people that don't have the wealth don't really have good means to get the expertise to help them out. So I, I think that's, that's, that's brilliant that, that you would do that. Thanks. Well, hopefully it works out. I'll let you know when, uh, when it's up and running, it should be actually yeah, pretty yeah. soon. Um, you know, okay. So last thing here, I saw you did this kind of Dilbert principles of personal finance where you kind of did your one page, you know, or, or the, uh, you know, the plan on the note card, which I, which I thought was a, a really nice summary. Um, you know, kind of keeping it, you know, simple and low fee. Any, any quick color that you have on that one? Why you put that together? Yeah, you know, Scott Adams, the the creator of Dilbert, he he had he had put this guide to personal finance together. It was kind of a one little paragraph thing with a couple bullets, and I was like, you know, he's spot on. It's kind of the one index card logic that you talked about, and 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 so I basically turned that into an infographic and and just kind of prettied up a little bit, but used basically his his uh, you know as his content. But basically, you know, I think the takeaway is this stuff doesn't have to be that complicated, right? I mean, you you save you know X percent 
15, 20% you should target, you know, um, keep an emergency fund, right? Keep diversified uh, portfolio and low cost mutual funds. You know, the basics are not that complicated. And if you get those basics right, that you can see in a one page Dilbert slide, if you get those basics right, you're 95% of the way to being, to being where you need to be, right? So don't overcomplicate it. Keep it simple and, and start moving down this path because uh, it's more important to mo start moving down the path than it is to get every single technical detail correct. It's just follow the basics and you'll be fine. Nice. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Um, so, you know, as you've been writing this, what what have you learned? Like, what is your audience asking you for? What are they most interested in? Uh, you know, as you as you uh, as you build, you know, the retirement manifesto. Yeah, um, you know, I think I think my main audience is is primarily, let's say, f late forties to maybe early sixties, and and I think the the biggest thing on their minds is really this: you know, when can I retire? You know, do I have enough? And and that you know, everybody faces that decision at some point in your life. So that's clearly the most common thing that I, that I hear in terms of feedback. And I've written quite a few posts around that and kind of did a whole series on, you know, can I retire yet? And how you walk through that process to determine, you know, when realistically you can, you can think about retirement. So that's, that's probably the, the number one thing that people look at financially. But I think those that, you know, once you get past that, similar to my journey, once you've kind of evolved past the financial side, there's there's a gaining momentum on this topic of kind of purpose in retirement and having a fulfilling retirement. And, you know, the softer side is maybe it's because I'm writing about it more now, but I, I'm hearing a lot more about that from readers. And that seems to be really striking a nerve right now with people as well. So I would say those two topics are, are the most common. Yeah. Yeah. I, th I think that, uh, you know, there's this giant untapped resource of uh, or there's a growing untapped resource or, or underutilized resource of kind of human capital of uh you know, the, these boomers and people that are like, okay, I'm stepping out of my main career. I'm, I'm doing something next, but like, look at yourself, right? You've got a ton of energy and, uh, and, you know, intelligence and, and, uh, and passion, like, you know, you could make a huge difference in a lot of things. So it's like, what, you know, how do you apply yourself? Where are you going to apply yourself in, in a way that's in balance with everything else you want to get done in your life? Exactly. Exactly. Okay. Awesome. So let's, uh, you know, moving on to kind of like, you know, today, right. I, I'm really curious, you know, you know, what what has changed and like what is life like now versus uh, before you made this move, you know, a month ago to retire? Yeah, yeah. You know, and it's funny as, as I've thought about retirement, you know, pretty seriously for the last five years, I've thought a lot about what's life really going to be like, right? Because it, it's one of those things until you actually get there, you can never experience it. You don't know what it is, right? You go on vacation, but you know, that's not the same, right? So that that one question that you just asked, what's what's the day in the life like now? You know, that, that's been a question that's been burning in my head for a couple of years. What's it really going to be like? And and I'll say, Steve, I mean, I'm only a month in, right? So I'm, I'm not naive. I know I'm still in the honeymoon moon period, but man, I am, I am floating on the ceiling. You know, it's, it's absolutely fantastic. You know, I, um, it's, it's just, it's so liberating. And, you know, I, I think one of the things I've read is, is the, the people that have the most successful retirements, typically the number one thing you can do is spend time before you get there thinking about what you want your retirement to be. And obviously I've been writing about it for three years. I've spent an exhaustive amount of time thinking about this. And I think it's starting to pay off, you know, now in, in terms of how, how motivated and, 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 and satisfied I am in this retirement. So, you know, a day in the life, I guess, you know, what's so nice about it is, you know, the, the restrictions of a structured work day are gone. And I had a friend of mine who said every day is a Saturday, you know, and, and that's, that's a really good analogy because you think about how you live your Saturday, 
but think about having a life the the rest of your life is Saturdays and every day is unstructured. Every day is just whatever you want it to be. You don't have to hurry. You know, you can put off something till tomorrow if you want to. You can go ahead and decide to do it today. And 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 you know, I I, I might lay in bed 15 more minutes in the morning and love on the dogs. You know, I um so I would say the typical day is is a is a nice slow wake up, um a nice leisurely. We we live as I said in the mountains and we've got a lot of woods and there's a really nice hiking trail back behind our, our cabin. That, you know, it's about a mile and a half pristine woods nobody back there it's just a private woods owned by a bank so we you know i i've met the guy that owns it he's yeah you can hike your dogs back there so you know i get out and hike the dogs in the morning and then typically at some point during the day we'll my wife and i are both pretty into into physical fitness so we'll we'll work out in one way shape or form or another and we do a lot of different things around that so there's normally some kind of physical activity and then you know um a little bit of online stuff you know keeping my social interactions with people in this community that i've developed um and uh, you know a lot of reading a lot of relaxing and and something around you know normally my blog because that's where I get the mental stimulation of of creating and and it's kind of just a random combination of all those things in a in a very relaxed um, pace it's it's really really nice nice that sounds awesome yeah I've definitely heard a lot of people say that uh, that have retired that they're really happy and not worried in a, and and it wasn't as stress inducing once they kind of retired versus yeah. they we're all worried about it beforehand. And then they're like, yeah. okay, it wasn't as bad as I thought. And you know, this happens, I think in all things, like people freak out about stuff and there's a lot of anxiety about some big event that's coming. The event comes, it's never as bad as you thought. Yeah. And, yeah. And you're yeah. Back. You're right. Yeah. So. Mountains on molehills. And, and I would say right now, that's, that's definitely the situation where now, you know, I don't know how things evolve. You know, most, I, I've read some stuff about like the six stages of retirement and whatnot. And, and, you know, we'll see how things evolve over time, but um, you know, we're, 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 we're pretty well grounded and we've, we've, you know, put a pretty good plan together. So I think, I think we're going to be fine, but you know, Hey, I'll, I'll, I'll keep you posted as the, as the years evolve here, but right now it, all systems are go and things are pretty good. Yeah, that sounds good. I, there, there is one stat I have for you. you can, you can start the clock on this one that, uh, <laughs> you know, kind of, uh, knowledge workers or, you know, whatever white collar workers when they, after they retire two and a half years later, they're back to either consulting or nonprofit work, or they're somehow, partially uh engaged you know back yeah. you know in the in the workforce so well you know it's interesting that you mentioned that because i actually got a call from a good friend of mine i've known him for 25 years in the industry and this is like a week before i was retired i was like oh great he's trying to offer me a job right he's like hey i actually had, yeah, i thought he was calling to you know congratulate me on retirement we had a nice chat and then he said actually i did have a reason for calling i was like oh man the guy wants to have me come consult for him and i do not want to do consulting work right i just i don't if i if i still had to work i'd, I'd stay in my job and you know i why would i have quit if i you know but he he approached me and said actually we're restructuring our board you know we've got a board position open and the chairman of the board of like to talk to you. And, and, and so, you know, my wife and I talked about it and I said, look, our whole purpose in retirement was to have the freedom and to not commit to something that's going to be invasive, you know, and I was very transparent with the chairman about that. And I said, look, it, it really sounds intriguing to me and, and I'm very interested, but I don't want to have to, you know, do a lot basically. Right. So he said, no, he said, you got my word. He said, it's, it's once a quarter, we have a face-to-face meeting and, you know, there's a little bit of a, a kicker with it. So that didn't hurt, but it, 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 the decision was not driven by the financials at all. It was purely driven by, Hey, here's a way that I can kind of stay strategically engaged with my industry with a very minimal time commitment that still lets me, you know, utilize my expertise to the value of a company. So I, I went ahead and took it, took advantage of it and we've had one board meeting and it was a blast. So yeah, I'm only a month in, but I've already been to a board meeting. So yeah, you're right. That does happen. Okay. So that's okay. 
Got it. Yeah, I was going to ask you if you're going to if you could uh, consult with us and do a little PR, but I guess the answer is going to be no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably not. <laughs> Bummer. Um, yeah. No, I, I think that, I mean, one of the things that I think is hopeful about what's happening here is that people like yourself uh, that are thoughtful about this is that the, the things they do choose to do, they're really purposeful about and uh, and the outcomes are much better because they're totally into whatever they're doing. You know, they're only going to do things they yep. really like and are passionate about and yep. then therefore they're going to bring their best effort and they'll probably have much better, uh, much bigger impact in, in, in those things. Um, and, and I'll tell you something else, Steve, that I think is really important. You're, you're absolutely right. But I think the, the bigger point is the decisions you're making are no longer driven by the financial implications of the decision, right? Okay, the board pays me a little stipend, fine. I, I would have done it, don't tell them, I would have done it for free, right? But to me, the thing that drove me to say yes was it was mentally stimulating, right? It was like, this this is going to be interesting to look at a business at a totally different strategic level. That sounds interesting. So the decisions you can make on what you engage in are now driven purely by what interests you and what motivates you. And that is so rewarding to be at a stage in life where you're no longer dependent on having to earn money and you, oh, I got to get that job because I got to pay the mortgage or whatever. That's totally off the table. And the decisions you're making now are purely based on your personal interest and whether this is something that intrigues you or not. And and you can say yes or no. There's no there's no skin in the game if you say no. So it's, it's, it's really a, a blessing to be at that point in your life where you can make decisions without having the financial considerations being a factor. Nice. Uh, by the way, I hope someone uh, fires up this podcast in your next board meeting and says, hey, <laughs> don't, don't, don't tell anybody. <laughs> I might have done this for free. Um, no, yeah, no, I totally get that. And, you know, in fact, I think that's one thing that I'm definitely seeing uh, in our business. Like we've had people like J.D. Roth and, you know, folks yeah. like yourself that they're willing to put their time in and energy in and uh, to share what they're learning. Um, and, you know, when you're talking to them, you know, and I actually I did write a post about this. You know, anyone who's financially independent, if they're spending time with you, it's because they think that, you know, they're going to be helping the world, right? It's not because yep. they're trying to make money. And that, yep. you know, you, so you, you completely, you, you immediately get past that, like, oh, is there some ulterior motive or, you know, yep. what, what's their angle? And uh, I, I think that makes all the communications so much better. Um, yeah. So and genuine, right? They're, yeah. they're, they're genuine. There's not an ulterior. And, and that's really what my blog is to me, right? The blog has never been designed to make money. I mean, it's really been designed as a way for me to share the things that I'm learning and, and hope that other people benefit from it. You know, it's, it's, you're, 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 you're making the world a better place. Right. And, and it really is that you really feel like you're, you're, you're putting energy into something that is going to benefit other people. And, and one of the most rewarding things you can do is find a way that the the things that you exert energy into are benefiting others because that's 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 where you get your rewards later in life is is seeing the benefit that other people have from your work more so than you know getting paid for it it, it really is around helping others that that's a very rewarding pursuit yeah that's awesome okay so i, I got a couple more questions for you and then and then we can wrap this up but you know any I mean, it sounds like you're kind of in the honeymoon period here, but have you had any kind of thoughts of like, oh, in the next kind of two or three years, this is what I see happening? Or are you kind of taking it um, a more shorter term approach and kind of settling into what, your situation? Yeah, at this point, it's shorter term. I, I wrote a post uh, called The Ten Commandments of Retirement, and I, and I kind of did it for myself to kind of set some guidelines. And, uh, and, and you know, one was to basically, you know, be a little bit be open to opportunities, but don't commit to a lot of things, right? You know, um, be careful, especially I've seen a lot of guys that I've worked with that have jumped in and become consultants right away. And, you know, they're kind of stuck right back on the same hamster wheel. So, so we've kind of intentionally said, you know, let's just kind of go with it for a while. Let's make the adjustment. Let's get fully absorbed into this new retirement lifestyle. 
and and see where things go. You know, I I would say over the next three years, our, our plans are you know spend quite a bit of time traveling with the camper, um, seeing a lot of the country. You know, nice slow travel, doing things like that. And beyond that, we're we're going to kind of do a wait and see attitude, and and you know, um, be open to opportunities. And and again, the intention is to you know never have to go back to work. So things that we do will be things that intrigue us as as they as opportunities present themselves. Yep. Wow. It's, I think it's a great perspective to have. Okay. I, I kind of have like this last question is kind of a weird one. I, I threw it in last night, I think at like 1130. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. oh. so maybe we'll edit this out. But, uh, you know, I, I was writing with, uh, you know, a friend of mine yesterday, we were talking about, um, you know, universal basic income and like, you know, yep. what's structural changes in the economy. I was at this conference that where uh, the Vanguard chief economist was like, look, I think the the most disruptive thing that we're going to see is uh, automation of jobs. And he's like, there's some stats that, uh, you know, kind of 77% of Chinese jobs and 50% of U.S. jobs may be automated in the next eight years. Um, wow. But this kind of plays into my question, which was like, hey, you know, if you have, you know, you so say you're 55, you know, uh, you know, you're healthy and and hopefully like science and is, is, is you know, extending lifespans and health spans at a pretty good clip. Um, you know, do you... Do you like if you could live for a really long time, you know, for say that your lifespan was going to be 125, right? right? 70 more years, you know, would that change your perspective on your life? Um, I, I better keep, I, I shouldn't have retired yet because I'll run out of money. <laughs> no, that's, that's an interesting question, Steve. I, I think, I think the way I look at that, you know, we all think about how long are we going to live and what's our, what are our later years going to be like, you know, and, and I think the way I look at that is. I think there's a natural flow to life and, and, you know, I don't want to get to the point where, you know, you're, you're really, you know, my mother-in-law's got, got uh, Alzheimer's and she lives here in a nursing home in, in the town we live in. And, you know, to see people go through that type of thing later in their life is just a, it's a horrible thing to witness. You know, if I knew that I could be absolutely healthy and I could still go kayaking and I could still do my cold water swimming and mountain biking, you know, all, all the activities. Yeah, sure. Why not? You know, but, but the reality of it is there's a natural, there's natural transition and, 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 and that's not realistic. So I, you know, my feeling is no, I, I would rather live kind of a normal lifespan and, and hopefully not have too many years at the tail end of it where you're not able to do the things that you really love to do, you know, and, and at that point check out and, uh, you know, live forever in heaven, which is going to be a lot nicer than here anyway. So, you know, I, th I think there's a natural, there's a natural time frame, and, and, and I'm, I'm fine with that. That's yeah. what I'm planning. On. Awesome. I think that's a great answer. And we, well, I don't want to take us too deep down this thing, but I think that this will become a larger discussion is becoming a larger discussion in Europe where, you know, people are really thoughtful, like they, they want to live a long time, but they're seeing as they care for parents or people that are older, they're like, oh, wow, you know, there's also this, these scenarios where people are, you know, living a really long time, but in a not unhealthy, you know, in a not unhealthy and kind of maybe our half, half present state. And it's like, yeah, it's not a great yeah. situation. And you incinerate all your money um, or a lot yeah. of money in that, in those kind of yeah. situations. Um, so being, you know, thinking about a little bit is, is probably worthwhile. Um, all right. Well, look, um, Fritz, this is great. You know, I appreciate your time. Do you have any, um, before I close this up, do you have any questions for me? Uh, yeah, you know, one thing I, I, was, I was thinking about this, I mean, congratulations, by the way, your podcast, I, the, the caliber of your content and the, and the, you know, I, I just, I mean, the people that you've had on, or you talked about earlier about, you know, Bob Merton and Nobel prize winner and, you know, Ben Carlson, I mean, that, that guy's incredible, you know, Bill Bernstein, I mean, right out of the shoot, you're hitting some of these really 
top names in the industry. So kudos and congratulations to you. And I, and I wish you the best of luck. But the question around that is, you know, it's been a relatively short period of time here that you've been doing this. I, I guess, you know, I'd be interested. I, I've always been intrigued by podcasts. I've, I've never done one. I, I don't think I'm going to commit myself to it now just because of the time commitment. But what would you say is the number one kind of life lesson that you've picked up, you know, since you've started this podcast? What What's the thing you think about that, you know, has been the biggest benefit to you? Yeah, it's a great question. You know, first I want to say, you know, one, we, we got pretty lucky, right? So, um, you know, we JD Roth was our first guest and yeah. know, he, he was a very legitimate guy and he helped promote it. And then we got Jonathan Clements, um, who also, uh, introduced us, introduced me to some of these, like Bill Bernstein. He's like, Hey, you should, you know, you should have him. And then I went to this, it happened to be, they were in a conference that next generation personal finance, you know, conference in San Francisco. So I went there and I met him and Alan Roth and like, you know, so part of it's serendipity, right? It's just luck that, yeah. you know, we yeah. kind of, you know, got these folks. And so I think a couple of things. So one is, uh, you know, for sure, this message of you, it can be simple um, and, it, it, and it can be and it should be low fee. And there's kind of like, a, you know, when I think about what we're doing, I, I feel like, you know, we want to help as many people as we can. That's why we're doing, you know, online and software. And, and mm -hmm. free to low cost, you know, you know, so the free tools forever, low cost software to kind of, you know, transparent hourly advice, right? We want it to be, you know, have a very low structure that helps, it helps as many people as possible and do it in a scalable way. Um, but I also want to take kind of an evidence-based approach, right? So there's a set of best practices about how to do this and think about it. So like a sign, you know, you, I want to be able to look back. I don't want to tell someone, hey, you should do this or that. Right. Mm -hmm. um, without being able to say, hey, look, here's all the evidence that supports. This is kind of the best way to do it. And I can't guarantee, you know, no one can guarantee outcomes, but yeah. we can tell you that, hey, you know, it's like if you want to lose weight, here's what you need to do in general. You know, eat less food or eat healthy food. Right. <laughs> and exercise. Right. And try to manage your stress level and all those good things. Right. So, you know, same thing with personal finance. There's like you got to save money. You've got to invest in a diversified way. You've got to manage your costs, your investment costs. You've got to try to think about taxes efficiently. And then you want to manage those external risks like inflation, market volatility, longevity, right? How, and how do you put all those pieces together? So that's, I, I do feel like we're, I'm learning a ton from talking to all these mm -hmm. folks about one, there really is a best, best way to do this. And um, two, it doesn't have to be that complicated. We just got to boil it down for people and kind of make it simpler and, and much more accessible to folks. So, um, mm -hmm that's that's a that's a huge thing and you know i will say it, it it is amazing to uh you know record this stuff we had we just crossed 100,000 downloads like uh you know i can't imagine speaking in front of 100,000 people but yeah. you know boom yeah. you know it's like a couple stadiums of people hearing your message about what you're doing and and uh and and you know learn, we're all learning together right so we're we're getting feedback from our listeners and and you know we're we're learning from our guests like you that you know, have, uh, you know, great stuff to say and, 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 and can really help us help as many people as possible. Yeah, that, that's excellent. And I tell you what, I mean, you got to love this, this, this culture, the society, the time that we live in to be able to just, you know, set up a podcast, talk to these amazing people, present company excluded, of course, but, you know, talk to, <laughs> talk to some really brilliant people and, and, and learn from it and then adapt that into the, into the, product that you're trying to build and and you know it, what a great society that that's all available you know it, it's just it's same with the blogging right it, it's just 
we are in such a fortunate time to to be able to do these kind of things and create this kind of content and you know at the same time have a lot of fun right this is really enjoyable stuff and and i uh i applaud you seriously i'm, I'm doing a great job with this and i and i wish you the best of luck with the business as well and we'll uh, we'll definitely keep in touch i consider you one of my friends and uh, i look forward to seeing you down the road i'm sure we'll keep in touch yeah for sure now uh, fred's you know feelings mutual and uh, I'm, I'm super this has been a, a super good podcast and you know same, I, I totally agree it's like you, you know you 20 years ago or 10 years ago, like the, uh, you know, the, the Illumina executive wasn't like sitting down saying, okay, you know what, I'm going to create something and then become like this thought leader in uh, retirement planning and, uh, right. you know, be on the, <laughs> exactly. be on the Washington yeah. Post. But now, you know, now yeah. it happens. Like you got something to say, you, you know, you know, your stuff and, uh, you know, it's amazing how the world's changed and people can discover you and engage with you and, uh, and share your stuff, you know, virally and organically and, and, it, and it works out. Um, yeah. all right, well, look, Fritz, thanks for being on our show. Uh, Dotto Robison, thanks for being our sound engineer. And anyone listening, thanks for listening. Hopefully you found this useful. Our goal at New Retirement is to help anyone plan and manage their retirement so they can make the most of their money and time. We offer a powerful retirement planning tool and educational content that you can access at newretirement.com. We also just rolled out uh, Planner Plus, a premium version of that, and we're encouraging our free users to upgrade and kind of support our mission here. And then we will also be rolling out uh, an advisor solution uh, in the in the coming month or two here. Um, so that's it. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Appreciate it. Mm-hmm.